With us, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and we have landed on chapter 18. As you know, I try on these Wednesday nights to keep it close to 30 minutes. Um, there's some nights I don't even attempt to, uh, but uh, that's always the plan. So we have time afterwards to share what God spoke to you out of the word tonight, or it could be something else. It might be a testimony. Pierre tonight has a testimony from... Uh, he'd like to share with us concerning uh, his visit to his family in Canada there. And, um, but also just um, from the passage or what God's speaking along the same lines, always a good idea. And then to pray. And when we pray, we want them to be shorter prayers. So pray three times rather than one long prayer, pray shorter prayers. And you know, you'll be surprised that when you stop yourself from praying another three minutes, that somebody else will start praying the very thing you would have prayed had you kept praying. It is really a neat thing how, how that can work. So um, again, we just want to prefer one another in love, and sometimes when we are uh, praying long, it's, it's hard to stay with it. Um, and so let everybody toot their horn, so to speak. Let everybody use their gifts and speak. Well, Exodus 18 the title of the night's message is Wise Leaders Receive Counsel. So we are now at Mount Sinai. We're going to discover that tonight. But it doesn't really specifically say we're at Mount Sinai. It actually won't say that until chapter 19. But here in chapter 18, verse 5, it'll say they were encamped at the mountain of God. Now, last time we were together, they were at Rephidim. And it also said it was in the Sinai wilderness. <laughs> so the whole time we know we're really close. And I, I don't think they moved a long ways uh, to get to officially under Mount Sinai. I think they were already probably a partial, partial of them were already very close to it, if not at it. But now they officially have arrived at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. They're going to be there about a year, maybe a little more, a little less. We don't know. But they're going to be at Mount Sinai through the rest of the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, we won't see them leave Mount Sinai until we get all the way to Numbers chapter 10, verse 11 and 12, where the cloud finally moves, and they all move with the cloud, and they don't go very far, and they settle at Paran. So we are at Mount Sinai, and uh, as you remember, Sinai was a, a little bit of a trip from Midian, where Moses was living, but he had taken the sheep to the backside of the desert, and, you know, he, he left Midian and, and went to this place that was out in the middle of nowhere, and God spoke to him at the burning bush, which is Mount Sinai, and then God told him, hey, as a sign to you, when this is all said and done, you're going to come back to this place. And you're going to, when you come back to Mount Sinai and you see this place again, you're going to remember, it's going to be like a second. Oh, I don't want to go. Send Aaron. Don't, don't send me, please. And you, you went. It's all over with. You came back, even though it's probably been well over a year, maybe closer to two, two years. It, it's, it's history now. It's history. It's, you know, what, what did Shakespeare say? Life seems but a dream, but real blood is spilt on the stage. 
It seems so surreal sometimes, life, doesn't it? It goes by so quickly, and we think back over 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, and it was like, it was but a second. It was almost like I had dreamed it in one night, and it's all over with. But yet, real cuts, real bruises. We've been through some real battles and and been injured and bloodied along the way. And, and typically when you're, you know, 60 and above, at least I know, you're ready to go. You're ready anytime, Lord, you know, anytime. Uh, I, I've had enough of this earth and uh, I've been saying that for a long time. I'm ready to go. But here they are, chapter 18. So not that far from them was Jethro, his father-in-law. So in verse one, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Sephora, Moses' wife. Notice, after he had sent her back, Moses had sent her back, uh, probably back in, in Exodus 4, we'll look at that, with her two sons, of whom he named one Gershom, and he said, I have been a stranger from a, in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, which he said, um, God of my father has, has helped me and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness when, here it is, he was camped at the mountain of God. There it is. That's how we know. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, are coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Jethro, this priest of Midian, we actually can go back all the way to Genesis 25. And remember, Abraham had a second wife, Keturah. And she had a number of children from Abraham. Thus, basically the whole Arab world today calls Abraham their, their uh, forefather too. And so Jethro was a relative of the Jews through Keturah, Abraham's second wife. And you can look it up in Genesis 25 too. It mentions the names of her sons and one of them was Midian. And so he, Jethro is a priest of Midian, and it appears that he is a priest after the order of his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, as we're going to discover here. Now, the first time we heard this guy's name was back in chapter 2, verse 18, and his name was Ruel, R-E-U-E-L. It happens to be that Ruel means a friend of God. It also tells us that he was a priest of the Most High God. And so um, it's very possible that he was worshiping the God of his father, Abraham, and probably creating religion out of it, as we all do, with a lot of extra stuff that's not from God, as we often do. You know, I mean, when you even look at us, you know, you're saying, how much does what we do look like Jesus along the shores of the Sea of Galilee? We got a lot of extra stuff that's not in the Bible from worship teams to youth ministries to children's ministries to on and on and on the list goes how many things we have that are important to us that are not in the Bible. God didn't specifically say that we need to do it. It's not bad that we're doing it. 
But anyway, he was this priest. But then in chapter 3 of Exodus, so chapter 2, he's called Ruel. Chapter 3, and after that, he's called Jethro. So that's the name, main name that we know him from, is, is Jethro. But you didn't notice that little line that said, after Moses had sent them back. Well, it doesn't say that earlier, but we're not surprised that it happened. Remember in chapter 4, Moses had just seen the burning bush. He goes to his father-in-law in chapter 4 and says, Hey, God spoke to me. I need to go back to Egypt. Can I have permission? I'm 80 years old now. I can do what I want. You're not the boss of me anymore. No, it wasn't that way. Um, Jethro was the, the patriarch. And uh, so he had to get permission. He goes, yeah, go ahead and go. And, and, and Moses went with his wife and son. And as you remember... God's speaking to him. You're going to go down and say this and that and tell Aaron to meet Aaron and tell him this and tell him that. And then that night, God shows up to kill Moses and he's almost dying. And Zephora gets up, finds a rock, circumcises her son, takes the foreskin, throws it at Moses saying, you're a son of bloodshed to me. And that's it. Well, evidently at that point, he sent her back. <laughs> because it was interesting. If you look at chapter four, you're going to go tell Pharaoh, that Israel's my firstborn, and he's my son, and if you don't give me my son, I'm going to take your son. It was all about sons, and here's Moses, who evidently wanted to circumcise his son. Remember, he hadn't been around circumcision. He had been in the house of uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh. He, he had been raised as an Egyptian. He wasn't raised where boys on the eighth day got circumcised. That's something I'm sure that happened to him. Uh, and I'm sure that um, he wanted to do that to his son, but it seems like his wife was like, this is bizarre. We are not going to circumcise him. No way. That's just out of the question. That's some pagan, horrible, evil superstitious thing that you had and the Jews have. We're not going to play that here. And so finally it came down to where she had to consent. Moses evidently was consenting, but he was. So it's a really strange story there in chapter 4, verse 24 to 26. We just sort of put a check going strange, but evidently after that, he sent her back. So now here we discover he has two sons now. Back in chapter 2, verse 22, we knew he had Gershom. And he named him, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. So that tells us, even though he was an older guy, that he had um, very much felt like a man without an island. He was not at home anywhere. And uh, even though he was at Midian and had the new, new family of Midian, he, he felt very much like he was alone. And a loner out in the middle of, uh, not connected. But now we discover he has a second son, Eliezer, Eliezer. And interesting what his name is. And that is, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now, all of that happened recently. <laughs> okay? So evidently, possibly... This is my take on things, that when Sephora went back to her father-in-law, Jethro, she was already pregnant. And maybe Moses at that point said, this is what you're going to name him, by faith. 
Or maybe he heard about him later, or maybe he's seen him for the first time saying, hey, this is his son, this is his name from now on. But clearly, it was in commemoration of what had just happened in Egypt, which wasn't that far back. Or they changed his name. It was one thing, and they changed his name to Eliezer to, to memorialize this. We don't, we don't know. There's just a lot of uh, questions we have. But nevertheless, his name was named after um, what God had done in Egypt by uh, killing Pharaoh and by overcoming Pharaoh. Interesting. Well, verse 7 and 8. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians of Israel's sake for all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. So somebody else had already told uh, Jethro about it. We just had read uh, a second ago, but Moses retells it, you know, from his uh, first-person experience, which I'm sure that story was a whole lot more insightful. And... um, I do love the fact that he shows such respect to Jethro. He goes out and he bows and he kisses him. Interesting, in just a couple of chapters, Moses is going to write by the Lord that honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And indeed, we see him honoring him greatly. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 2 through 3, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. So Paul tells us sort of in a Gentile perspective, (laughs) where it wasn't just for the Jews and in the promised land, but even if you're a Gentile, wherever you're at on earth, you'll have that blessing. Now Paul, interesting, Ephesians 6 calls it the first commandment. It's actually the fifth commandment. But it is the first commandment of the second set of commandments. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we're going to see the sins against God, and then the second one are sins against man. But it is also the first promise for sure with a blessing. Later on, we will see that the law is not just Ten Commandments. The law is 613 laws, and many of them are if-then clauses. If you obey God, then this blessing will come. If you don't do that, then that blessing won't come. Matter of fact, maybe even a curse will come if you don't do that. So um, here, this is a, 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 the only of the Ten Commandments with the blessing to it. And so indeed, it is the first of, of, of several commandments that will be given later. You know, we sort of call them the Ten Commandments. You know, the Moses didn't You go up to heaven and, hey, Moses, yeah, that, that, tell me about the Ten Commandments. He's, what? What are you talking about? Um, or 613. I, I don't think uh, he, he, we're the ones who, who did that for, for us. So we've got to be careful sometimes. We, our, our thoughts and our theology can actually be right in the Bible. Um, but honoring your parents, it's interesting. Moses was a good example of that. Jesus was a good example of that. Remember in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus is going to Jerusalem? I think for his bar mitzvah, he was 12 years old, it tells us. And, and soon as the whole family was heading back to Nazareth, they thought Jesus was in the caravan, but he was actually in the temple 
debating with the priests, and, and they were all amazed at his insights. But then they finally came back and found him. They were scared to death. They scolded him, and, and Jesus said, hey, I thought you knew I'd be about my father's business. And they scratched their heads going, what are you talking about? But in Luke chapter 2, verse 50, uh, they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. But notice what Jesus did in verse 51 and 52. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and what? Subjected to them, submitted to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Interesting that he wanted to start his ministry at 12, but his parents did not let him until he was 30. That's a lot of submitting. That's a lot of setting on your hands when you know the Father has a great work for you to do. When you have great insights to, be, to give and great uh, things for humanity to learn from the Creator. But yet, one of the things we see in the life of Jesus 33 years was submission for 30 of them to his parents. Also in John 2, remember Jesus finally leaves home. But he still, you know, is going to intersect with his family. And one of the things is, as he was leaving home, his mom said, don't forget, you know, your cousin Larry's uh, wedding, you know. I won't. I'll be there, mom. So he comes to the wedding. and He brings his apostles with him. They're a, they're a clan. They're a gang now. They're not going to be separated. And as soon as he gets there, it's like, mm, these guys are not a great character who've been invited. They've been drinking way too much. And wine that should have lasted several days, it's gone already. There is no more to put in front of them. And Mary hears about it. Maybe she was on the steering committee of this wedding. I don't know. But she goes to Jesus and says, hey, we're out of wine, you know, tells in the servants she brings with them. And, and Jesus said, hey, I'm about my father's business now. What, what are your concerns to me? And he actually says to that woman, which is not a, a disrespectful term, in John 2, 4, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What did his mother say to the servants? Whatever he says, do it. I know he's going to submit to me. Even though he's 30 years old, he's officially started his ministry, he's having to walk in the will of his father only. But I guarantee you, he will submit to my want and do it. With absolute certainty, she had learned this of Jesus 30 years under her roof. And indeed he did. So we often scratch our heads and try to figure out what Paul meant in Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So directly or indirectly, for blessings or for cursings. God has either put or at least allowed every authority in your life to be there. And so again, I think that we as Americans have been unique about this in the entire planet. At these last 200 years of our American experience, which is basically over, of having a democratic republic and a freedom which is now 
being chipped away at. We, we were unique in the entire span of 6,000 years of, of human history. We have really uniquely had freedom. And, and so we, we often say, well, hold it though. We also have a constitution and hold it. We have the right to, uh, to speak our mind and to fight and all of this. And it's like, yep, but at the end of the day, it's us being a light and a salt of the earth. And the one thing we learned from Jesus, he laid down his rights. He didn't take up his rights. He died. He, he was crucified to his own rights that we might be saved. Interesting there. Well, moving on to chapter 18, verse 9 through 12. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, has done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. A couple of things there. He's worshiping Yahweh and he's calling this nation, what? Israel. Wow, there's some real uh, substantial things going on in this verse 9 here. And how God had delivered them out of the Egyptians' hands. And then Jethro said, so man, this guy's Jethro's name's all over this chapter. Blessed be the, what, Lord, bless Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who's delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians, Verse 11, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Isn't that exactly what God told Moses would happen? All Through all the plagues, so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians and all may know there is one God. And all the things they worship as gods are nothing compared to God. So this gives us an idea of Jethro's theology. He's a priest of Midian. He, he has believed in the God of his father, Abraham. He is called the priest of the Most High God, which is the same term as the high priest that we'll see later on in, uh, in Israel. But here, here he says, wow, that whole thought has been put to bed now. There is one God. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. So he, he got it. Each one of their gods were taken down one by one by one, and every one of their proud gods were taken down by the true God. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to, off, to offer God. So what does Moses' father do as the priest? He does some sacrifices and offerings. Wow. How did the Jews Respond to this, Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. Let me say <laughs> that Aaron here and these other leaders, their first sacrifice to Yahweh is probably this one here from Jethro. <laughs> so later on, when they go to sacrifice for the Lord, they're moment of uh, experience was with Jethro, a Midianite priest. Interesting. So the question is, 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 is Jethro a pagan, a priest of a pagan god? Was he? We don't know. How much light did he have? Very little. But he is definitely a believer now. We see his response. 
Here in chapter, in verse 9, Jethro rejoiced in all the good that Yahweh had done for Israel. Verse 10, Jethro said, blessed be Yahweh. And then in verse 12, God accepts, evidently, the burnt offering sacrifice that he offers to God. And every Moses and Aaron and all the leaders accepted it as truly a, a worship of the true God. And they partook in it. Well, verse 13 to 16, and so it was on that next day that Moses said to the, to the judge, the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. I guess back in these days, they liked long lines and waiting in long lines. I don't think they liked it back then either. Nope. So Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, and he said, what is this thing that you were doing for the people? Why do you alone sit? For all the people stand before you from morning until evening. So it's interesting. He's concerned for Moses, but his greatest concern is for the people. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me, they inquire of God. When they were, have difficulties, they come to me and I judge between one another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So they come to me. I am the one single voice speaking for God, something he never wanted to do before, but I guess he doesn't mind it now. But yet it's, it's a workload that's just crushing him and crushing the people. So Jethro is going to give him some wisdom. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Now, are you ready for some pagan priests from Midian to tell you, the guy that's been hearing from God and doing, you know, parting Red Seas and all kinds of stuff to tell you how to do your job? Well, he plain out said it. This thing is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourself out for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Number one, stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. So do be the spiritual representative. Be the, the, the head leader of this clan. But be that person without doing 100% of the work, right? Don't, don't do the work of 100 men but be the leader of the hundred men that do the work of a hundred men. Secondly, he says, to teach them the statutes and the law. So if you have a group of men that can, if they're lacking the knowledge that you have, which let's, let's remember, Moses hasn't been at this much longer than anybody else. They've all been at it about the same amount of time. And when you look at the end of Genesis, how much they knew about God, and then 400 years later, how much they knew about God, it, it was, you could fill it all up in a thimble, okay? It was not much. They're all working on very little information. So there's not a lot that Moses really could have taught them because he didn't know himself at this point. And then the third thing, he says, show them the way in which they must walk and work, they must do. So teach them, and then your example of showing them. Then the fourth thing is down in actually verse 22. Skipping down just for a second. 
The fourth thing was uh, that it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you. So the most difficult things that they can't figure out that's out of the ordinary, that is what comes to you. You're sort of the Supreme Court, if you would. So number one, stand before the people as the number one top spiritual leader. Number two, teach them. Number three, show them. And number four, you take only those things that they can't figure out. Boy, Jesus said it, didn't he, to all his apostles in Matthew 28. What did he say? Go into the, all the world and what? Do all the work. Do all the evangelizing. Do all the teaching. Do all. Yeah. He said, make disciples. And what happened? They quickly got crushed. Remember in Acts chapter 7? They were quickly being crushed and they weren't prepared by, in prayer. They weren't prepared by studying the word. And they're still having to dish out all these great teachings of Jesus. And they're themselves exhausted from trying to feed the thousands of widows that used to be a part of the Jewish system that have believed in Jesus and kicked out of the Jewish system. And he finally says, we've got to raise up seven leaders, don't we? Paul told Timothy the same thing. Timothy hated pastoring in Ephesus. It was crushing him. When you read First and Second Timothy, he did not want to be a pastor. And Paul's forcing him to stay there. And, and what does he tell him in 2 Timothy 2? He said, you need to raise up a group of young men. And the things that I've taught you, commit to those faithful men who are able to teach others also. Matthew 28, make disciples. Be a disciple, make disciples. So the job description is pray for the people, teach the people, disciple the leaders, attend uh, to the most difficult things. So we see, we'll see this later on. In, in Numbers 15, when they finally institute the Sabbath day rest as a law, the very first day there's a guy picking up little twigs and, make, and throwing them on the fire. And they're like, isn't that working on the Sabbath? And didn't God say you're to die if you're working on the Sabbath? So, hey, this guy, I almost don't want to report it, but he was picking up sticks. Were you picking up sticks? Yeah, they were little sticks. It was like, it's throws. They threw a few on there. And Moses is like, ah, he goes to God, and God says, yep, stone him. And then there's another story in Numbers 27 where a guy had died, uh, and he had no sons, but he had daughters, and the inheritance was going to go to one of the brothers rather than the daughters were going to get nothing. And these daughters put up a fight. <laughs> Said, no, that inheritance is ours. And they're all going, you're nuts. So let's take it to Moses. And Moses had no idea. He sought the Lord on it, and God spoke to him and said, go tell them that they do get the inheritance. So when even Moses didn't know the answer, he had to wrestle to to seek God to come up with the answer. Well, in verse 21 now, moreover, you shall select from all the people, able men, number one, such as fear God, number two, men of truth, number three, hating covetous, number four. Able or powerful leaders that can lead, that, are, that have that, that, they're sort of born with that DNA. Um, you can pick them out. And they fear God, men of truth, and they hate covetousness. Later in Numbers 11, Moses is getting crushed by the job again. And he said, I give up. I, I, I need you to take some of this burden off of me, God. 
And God said, go choose some leaders. And he went out and chose 70 leaders. So evidently, the time we get to Numbers 11, those that had been created had sort of dissolved. And they weren't doing the job. Or they were just doing court cases. And there was a lot of other things that were still heavy upon Moses that was too much. But God said, okay, this time you're not going to get men over thousands, hundreds. You're just going to get 70 guys that are going to just come right next to you and help you carry the weight. And, and there in, in Numbers 11, 16 and 17, he gives a list of there. And he says, number one, men whom you know. Number two, men that will stand with you. Number three, they'll be of the same spirit with you. And number four, they shall bear the burden with you. So know you, stand with you, the same spirit, and bear. And then as we mentioned in Acts chapter 6, I said Acts 7 earlier, but Acts chapter 6, when they needed leaders, they actually went to the people and asked them to put men forward. And uh, they were Hellenistic people. In other words, they were not Hebrew-speaking. They were Greek-speaking, so they, they end up getting those kind of men that spoke their language. But here he says, here's the job description in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. He says, men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And, and so they were able to give themselves to prayer and the word. They chose these men. Then they tell you about this guy, Stephen, that was chosen. And sure enough, he was a man full of faith. That's something they didn't think about. And the Holy Spirit. So when you put the characteristics of Acts, it was good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. And then when we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul has a really long list. And I am not going to go into that. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he says they need to be blameless, the husband and one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behavior, hospital, able to teach, on and on the list goes. And that's a whole nother study, isn't it? Well, going back to verse 21, the second part of that now, and take those men and place such over them that rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they'll bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. That's the key. They will bear this burden with you. So all kinds of various leaders, some over lots of people. So they're the more powerful leaders, over thousands. But then there's other guys that are just sort of block leaders. <laughs> you know, they're just over 10 different people. So you sort of got the guy on the block who, who can take care of little tiny issues. And then you've got a guy sort of over several blocks, over 100, or over 50s, I mean. And then you got another guy over hundreds, and then a guy over thousands. And, and so you just sort of take it up the ladder, uh, sort of very similar to our court system. Um, and we in the New Testament have various kinds of leaders as well, right? God gave himself apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers in Ephesians 4. Why? Why do we have these leaders? For the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Why do we have leaders to raise up everybody in the New Testament to in some way lead and serve? Right? Ephesians 4.16 
from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body, the edifying of itself in love. It's always amazing how you, you have people who are willing to come and, and just stand on the coattails of those who really serve and those who really give. And it's like they show up, you know, every Christmas. Oh, I love our church, you know. It's like, yeah, you should be thankful that there's hundreds of people, thousands of people, depending on the size of the church, who are giving their tithes, who are showing up to turn the lights on, to help with the kids' care, to go evangelize. I mean, you just go through the list. But this fruitful Christmas Eve service you're coming to is a manifestation of an entire year of people living the life and and serving and giving and loving and sacrificing and and carrying the burdens of one another and laying down their lives for one another. And then you get a call from one of these people at two in the morning that have been to church once a year, twice or three times a year for the last five years. I'm in the hospital. Get over here. Why didn't you already check to see how I'm doing? It's like, who are you? Well, I've been a member of that church for 15 years. Well, we don't have members. And I, I don't know everybody. The church is too big, but I, I, I don't think anybody knows you <laughs> here at the church. But it doesn't matter. We'll be over. But how, why didn't we know? Because we don't know you. And so, again, it's always two-sided. It's all, and a lot of parents are that way. They don't give any time to their kids. And then when they get old, they're so mad at their kids for not giving them time. And, it, and it's just sort of that thing. If you What you put in is what you're going to get out in, in, at some point. Not to punish you or to make you feel bad. It's just, it's just the reality. And the same with the church. As we all put in, then we're going to find that connection that we want. But people who show up to church looking for some connection that takes five years, and they're supposed to get it in three Sundays, it, it's just not humanly possible. You know? I want you to care about my life. I, I don't know you. I've only known you for three weeks. It's gonna, you're asking me to know you on a five-year basis. It takes actually five years to know somebody on a five-year basis, right? And that's assuming that you are spending time together in that five years. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and in Hebrews 13, 7 and Hebrews 13, 17, it, it tells us that these men that are chosen by God We need to recognize them. We need to esteem them highly. We need to obey them, be submissive to them because they do have to watch out for your souls and they do have to report on the day of judgment uh, according to what kind of shepherds they've been. And so in the New Testament, though, we're all gifted in some way to use that gift. And in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, it says we're all individual members of one body. And so I I remember years ago, there was a a Coke commercial. And in the one pull away Coke, there was this church out in the middle of farmland. And there was this guy with the black suit and his white collar mowing the yard, you know, and his wife brings him out a Coke and he's looking up, you know, at the blimp or whatever. But that's the people's mentality, you know, 
the pastor mows the yard and cleans the toilets and, you know, prints the bulletins. And, you know, that's, that's the, the mentality. You do all the ministry, pastor. We'll show up and, and, and watch the show that you put together. No. God's given all of us gifts individually. Well, in verse 23, if you do these things, God and God so commands you, then you'll be able to endure it. And all the, these people also will go to their place in peace. So he's, he does give a, a, a footnote there. Jethro says, you need to ask God if this is his will. It seems to me it's a no-brainer. You know, things that are logical. I remember Chuck used to say, use your brain. You know, uh, using your brain isn't going against the spirit. God's, God, through the spirit who created all things, gave you a brain. So, you know, a lot of times things that are common sense really is the word of the Lord. Well, it, it didn't say that in the Bible. I know, but it's common sense. And if you look at the scripture, a lot of the things that are things we need a lot of information on are not in the Bible at all. It's because, as you read through Proverbs, it says, it's the wise man to seek out wisdom, like a buried treasure, and it's the wise man willing to receive the wisdom from others. And so life sort of breaks down between the foolish and the wise. And so you can have Christians that are foolish and suffer, or Christians that are wise and are more blessed. You can have non-Christians that are wise and suffer less and non-Christians that are fools and suffer the most. But being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to receive counsel, and being a Christian doesn't mean you're going to choose wisely. And so I think that God has made this big ball that we live on. He made the natural laws that govern the natural universe, and I think they're of God, and they're awesome. And unlike us, they don't have a free will, so they haven't changed and they keep making these amazing sunrises and amazing sunsets. They keep making these amazing waves on the ocean. They keep making these amazing trees in the mountains. But then there's also the spiritual world he created with spiritual laws or principles. And he hasn't written them all in the Bible. All that's in the Bible is true, but not all truth is in the Bible. And not all truth in the Bible is equally as important. Some parts of the Bible have much less importance. Uh, you know, the Ten Commandments is not as great as a teaching to us as the, is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Both God's word, but one's far more important than the other. And so I think m most of life is we are to be seeking out wisdom, seeking out the wise man, seeking out wise counsel, or if it comes to us, it's a, it's a test. It's all the test. Am I willing to have a humble heart and listen, no matter by whom it comes by? And he's just saying, it's a no-brainer. But seek God. You can't say, well, I just did what Jethro said. He's the one who messed me up. No, none of this, this passing the buck thing like Adam and Eve did. The New Testament, Paul warns us in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, which we're going to study in a couple of weeks, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. And this is really the case. It was best for Moses, and it was also best for the people. In Thessalonians 5.19-21, it says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, test all things, hold fast to what is good. But being willing to listen to wisdom, man, Proverbs 11.14, Where there is no counsel, the people fell. 
But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 25, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. In Proverbs 19, verse 20 and 21. Listen to the counsel and receive instruction that you may... Be wise in your latter years. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Well, finishing up here in verse 24 to 27 of Acts 18, or Exodus 18. And Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and all that he had said. And Moses chose men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And in verse 26, so they judged the people at all times. And hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. So man, praise God for the visit from the relatives. It was definitely the Lord. Again, and we see Moses as this amazing a man of humility, receiving counsel. He honored. You, you say, man, what kind of person do you want to hang out with? Do you want to hang out with somebody who honors their father and mother? I think you do. Look at Moses, man. He's this great leader over millions of people, but yet he bowed down and kissed his father-in-law. And again, in Ephesians 6, what does it say when you honor your father and mother? It says that it may be well with you. One of those blessings that wouldn't be there otherwise. First Peter 5, 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Amen to that, old people? Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. There you go, clothed in humility. For God resists the proud, because grace and humble. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. In Numbers 12, 3, later on, it's going to be described of Moses. Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. We know that Moses wrote this. (laughs) I'm sure it was not a very easy thing for him to write. But the Holy Spirit's, okay, there it is. It seems like I'm not humble anymore after writing that, but what a great compliment for God. Man, it just makes me cry out, Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart, try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. In Psalm 19, 14, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Again, I think God's given all of us gifts, talents, abilities to serve the body. He's knitted us all together that every part doing its share causes the growth. That God's given by his spirit to each one of us for the profit of all gifts of the spirit, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So ask God, what is your giftings? Until he reveals them, just serve, wash feet, take the role of the lowliest servant. We all need to carry the burden as priests and kings to our God. Revelation 6 says all of us, he makes that who are the believers for the new kingdom.